Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we meet in the Archbishop's Corner, it's always a new adventure, a journey in faith. And today's journey takes us beyond the cross, beyond the tomb, to resurrection life. We are people of hope, Easter people. Happy Easter. Some wise person once said, In my deepest, darkest moments, what really got me through was a prayer. Sometimes my prayer was, help me. Sometimes my prayer was, thank you. What I've discovered is that an intimate connection and communication with my Creator will always get me through because I know my support, my help, is just a prayer away. And it is through prayer that faith can be strengthened, faith in resurrection life. And our local guide to faith is Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair. With just the answer to one question, he may help us move along on life's journey to successfully live out our faith and navigate our way through the challenges of our contemporary world. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. A very happy and blessed Easter to you. How are you? Fine. And yes, today, of all days, uh, I wish you and everyone who's listening a very happy, blessed Easter. Interesting, isn't it, that you can always tell that Christmas is coming, even months before it arrives. Christmas isn't celebrated on just one day, gets a whole long season. Easter, on the other hand, usually most Catholics dress up for Mass on Easter Sunday. I think they still do, don't you? Well, some people do. Yeah. But, but we forget about it days later. But the Easter season is a whole 50 days long, is it not? Yes, it is, and uh, you're quite right. We're just beginning the Easter season today. Uh, not ending it. So talk to our listeners about um, this extended season, why Easter is viewed as the most important celebration for Christians the world over. Well, because without Easter, there would be no Christianity. Christ, as St. Paul says, uh, would still be lying in his grave, and we would be the most deluded and sorry of people uh, if we proclaimed our faith in him and, and he were still dead. But as St. Paul says, but the truth is, no, Christ is risen. He is He's been brought back to life. So this makes all the difference in the world. Tomorrow is Easter Monday, and it's a a public holiday throughout most of the world, 116 nations to be exact. But this isn't the case in the United States. Other than the traditional White House Easter egg roll, the United States does not celebrate Easter Monday. Why is that? Oh, I guess it's just tradition. And, uh, of course, the United States has always been... Uh, in its history, a Protestant uh, country primarily, even though Catholics are a very substantial part of the population. And, of course, now to the extent that not only Catholicism but Protestantism itself is not what it used to be in the life of people and in their practice. But uh, <clears throat> so we didn't—that uh, kind of uh, Monday celebration is a particularly Catholic thing. We usually see our, our churches— if not full, almost full, on Easter. Catholics who otherwise have other things to do on a Sunday morning usually will make an attempt to go to church on Easter. How would you recommend, or do you, would you recommend, that people take this opportunity today on this Easter morning to make a commitment 
recommit themselves to going to church every Sunday? Well, I have a feeling that most of our listeners are faithful church-going people, or, or at least it is a very significant part of their life. But I also am hopeful and confident that also many people hearing us on the radio are interested, they're, they have a good spirit about it, but they maybe are not as faithful to a church as they should be or would even like to be. And I would just say that uh, this is a perfect invitation to invite them to please realize that every Sunday is a little Easter and that Christ's resurrection from the dead and his uh, being alive and offering us the gift of his very own life in his word and in the, especially in the Holy Eucharist at Mass are meant for us uh, to partake of every every week. And so it's never too late to act on a good resolution to faithfully uh, participate at Mass. Tuesday, April 19th, the National Catholic Education Association Convention takes place. It's taking place in New Orleans this year, starting on Tuesday. The NCEA is the largest private professional education association in the world and works with Catholic educators to support ongoing faith formation and the teaching mission of the Catholic Church. With fewer schools, less students these days, is the Church still committed to its teaching mission, Archbishop? The answer is clearly yes. I mean, it's not the 1950s anymore with regard to the number of children that are there. Uh, including our Catholic uh, families, Catholic children. But, I mean, uh, teaching has always been a part of Christianity and um, the education of the whole person, uh, body and soul, uh, mind and and will. And uh, so, yes, we're, we're devoted to that. Sadly, we've had COVID, uh, and it remains with us as we're seeing more and more. Uh, but by the, the, there's also a silver lining to the clouds that come, and one of the silver linings to that a cloud has been that our Catholic schools have done well during COVID, and uh, maybe there's a reappreciation or a new appreciation on the part of parents about the value of Catholic education and the way it's conducted. Not that with I say that without prejudice to the many dedicated teachers in the public schools too, but we certainly uh, add a dimension to it that uh, is extremely important, and perhaps. People are appreciating that more now, and uh, that could be good news for our schools. But we always keep trying to press our uh, state government in Connecticut to do what many other states are doing and to providing uh, uh, a way for Catholic parents to send their children to Catholic school. Uh, And as far as that goes, as parents of other faiths to send them to faith-based schools by uh, providing some uh, kind of assistance or some relief uh, because we do a tremendous service to the state by educating the children that we do. It saves the state a lot of money and uh, the, all the towns. And if we, if, if we had some share of, of, of those of funds, we could, we could do even, even more. Thursday is D.A.R.E. Day, Drug Abuse Resistance Education Day. And DARE is a national program that educates students about the dangers of drugs and empowers them to respect others and choose to lead lives free from violence, substance abuse, other dangerous behaviors. As you know, drug addiction is a serious problem affecting people from all lifestyles. Talk to us, Archbishop, about the the fact that we need to be and, and educate our young people to be aware of this problem so that they make the right decisions when confronted by this in their lives. Huh? 
Well, I think a lot is done to make people and young people aware of this problem. The difficulty is that if a young person does not have a solid grounding in in life and life's values and a and a and a, a solid lifestyle based in their family and in their school and in the practice of their religion, I might add, that they can and, and all the kinds of temptations and the things that are out there on the web, in the media, on television, and every other place. Um, it, but not to mention the the enormous profits and corruption that are the result of drug trade. All these things conspire to ensnare young people who might be emotionally distraught or confused or don't have solid values and religion to fall back on about life. Obviously, they become a prey to these kinds of substance abuses, whether it be alcohol or drugs or whatever. So, you know, uh, as you sow, so shall you reap, as the scriptures say. And if we're not sowing the seeds of a really solid faith-based uh, uh, life uh, rooted in, in values and virtue, uh, then uh, people are drawn in in their frustration uh, and their depression uh, their and their materialism. Uh, they're drawn into uh, all kinds of, of things that are deadly. So we have to, the solution is not just to put a kibosh on the drug market, the drug trade. It is to uh, keep ourselves and our young people uh, in living a solid and virtuous life that's emotionally stable and uh, that that really is, is positive. Well, every year on April 22nd, Earth Day marks the anniversary of the birth of the modern environmental movement starting back in 1970. So on Friday, Earth Day will be marked by more than a billion people every year as a day of action to change human behavior and create global, national, and local policy changes. In, in what way, Archbishop, have you changed to become more environmentally conscious yourself? Well, yes, you know, the, the church for a long time has uh, advocated the fact that we must be responsible stewards of creation. You know, uh, in Genesis, we're told that the created world is, is uh, made subject to the uh, dominion of a uh, 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 human being, of man and woman, created in the image and likeness of God. But I think there's a little bit of a difference between dominion and domination in the sense of d- domination being... Um, irresponsible. Yeah. Uh, so we are. We keep saying this, and it's a very important uh, concept, that we are the stewards of creation. Uh, I think that's a, a very fair uh, understanding of what's told to us in the book of Genesis, that we are stewards of creation. And, you know, you can exercise a good stewardship or poor stewardship. And good stewardship means that what's been entrusted to you is safeguarded and made to grow and to be productive. And so if at a certain point in the industrialization and technical advancement of human science, we become aware that our stewardship is destroying rather than building up, uh, not only to the detriment of the of the world and its uh, living creatures, but also including us, then we have a serious obligation to do all that we can to make it into good stewardship. The Church has talked about this for a long time, but of course Pope Francis in particular, given that the situation becomes more dire, uh, we he, he has insisted on this as well. And I think that is a very important thing because whether it's material things or money or even our life, 
We are entrusted with it as something that comes from God. We're entrusted to be good stewards of what we've been given. And to me, that's the key to understanding the Christian responsibility for the environment and for our planet. Let's talk now uh, about the road to happiness in life, Archbishop. And this is taken from Pope Francis's Angelus Address that was delivered on February 26th of 2017. And it is called Our Obsessions. We distance ourselves from God's love when we incessantly search for earthly goods and riches, because in doing so, we display a fondness for these objects, these things. Jesus says that this frantic search is illusory and that it leads to unhappiness. He gives his disciples a fundamental precept, seek first and foremost the kingdom of God. We must fulfill the plan that Jesus revealed in the Sermon on the Mount, entrusting ourselves to God, who never disappoints. Many friends, or many people who we believed were friends, have disappointed us, but God never disappoints. We must be dedicated and faithful stewards of the goods that he has given us, even the earthly goods, but without overdoing things. Nothing, not even our salvation, depends only on us. This evangelical attitude requires a clear choice, which today's readings indicates precisely. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's either the Lord or the fascinating but illusory idols. We are called on to make this choice, and it has an impact on our actions, our plans, and our commitments. We must choose clearly and continuously. The temptation to reduce everything to money, pleasure, and power is relentless. There are so many temptations of this kind. Archbishop, your thoughts? Well, yes, you know, St. Augustine said famously that... um, You have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are ever restless until they rest in thee. And that's just the bottom line. That says it all, that we were made, we are immortal beings made for God. And so the visible things that we see, uh, to the extent that all things are created by God and they bear a beauty, truth, and goodness that is reflective of God, to that extent, they have an appeal, but, but they are not the ultimate goods. And everything in this world that is material passes away. And even the, the love of other persons, while it is uh, 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 not material and it is, it is of God, still it, it is only good in, in the context of the divine love, of the, the eternal love that is God. Yes, uh, the Holy Father is just repeating a fundamental truth of Christianity that we, we cannot uh, put our trust in the things of this world and we cannot sell our souls for the sake of acquiring money, power, or pleasure in this world, which are fleeting, and which will never satisfy the human heart, as St. Augustine says. It's impossible. You could have all the money in the world, and it, you, then you'd say, now what? Or, or you know, and that's true of, of anything uh, that is of this world. So, especially at Easter, we see that Jesus has passed beyond the veil uh, into uh, that eternity that is uh, just the immersion in in pure joy and the vision of God. And until we are in God and with God, possessed by God and, and possess him in love in heaven, we'll, our hearts will never be fulfilled. I love it when the Pope says God never disappoints. I think that that's probably a message that Mary Magdalene discovered when she first found the tomb to be emptied and then realized what had happened thereafter. God never disappoints. It may seem at the beginning, it may seem that you've been disappointed by God, but in the end, God never disappoints. A great Easter value to take away from this beautiful day. Archbishop, let's uh, look at our gospel reading for this day. It's from 
the 20th chapter of John's Gospel. After the Gospel is presented in dramatic fashion, we'll talk with you and ask for your thoughts. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter then came out with the other disciple, and they went toward the tomb. They both ran. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying, and the napkin which had been on his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not know the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Archbishop, your thoughts on our Easter morning gospel passage. Yes, well, you know, now we celebrate, we've always celebrated St. Mary Magdalene, uh, but now that Pope Francis has uh, raised her day in the calendar uh, to a more significant level, uh, she, of course, has traditionally been called the Apostle to the Apostles. And by that is meant not that she is an apostle in the sense that the others are, but apostle means one who is sent. And she is uh, an apostle to the apostles inasmuch as she was the one who ran to the Twelve and bore witness to the resurrection. She was the one who was the first uh, to to uh, experience this, to see this, and, and, and brought the others uh, then afterward. So, you know, it's Peter and the, about the other disciple, which traditionally has been associated with the author of the gospel that we're looking at, namely John, seeing the burial cloths there, a point making, uh, being made about the cloth that covered his head, not with the burial cloths, rolled up in a separate place, etc. And, of course, that is a hint of some of these things connected with the shroud and the, uh, the face cloth that is venerated as being these these artifacts, if you will, of Christ's burial. But that's another subject. For our purposes here, what is important is simply the truth of the resurrection, that it's not a myth, it's not uh, a poet, just a poetic image, but Christ really and truly is risen in his physical body. And we also believe, as we say every time we say the creed, we also believe in the resurrection of the body, that is to say our bodies, uh, that what Christ has become or has been transformed, we similarly will rise from the dead. Let's take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. Joyce from Brantford says, I have many non-Catholic Christian friends. Some attend traditional Protestant churches while others attend congregational. Many do not consider Catholics to also be Christians. What is the best way to explain to them that Catholicism is Christianity in a way they will actually understand and might accept? Well, Joyce, as far as they're actually understanding and might accept, I have no idea what they've obviously been uh, trained or reared in a view that uh, Catholicism is not authentic Christianity. And, of course, you have to understand that Protestantism arose after 1,500 years of Catholic Christianity. So in order to vindicate them breaking away, uh, Protestant churches— uh, and particularly evangelical, have uh, said, well, that's not real Christianity. We are. But the fact is that for 
the 1,500 years before uh, the, the Protestant churches uh, arose, uh, right from the beginning, uh, th- this has been uh, the, the church. Uh, but we use the word uh, Catholic church, Roman Catholic church, uh, but uh, it, it is it is the, the the Christian church that that we have from the apostles and through all of those many centuries. So I don't know what would explain to them, uh, or the, really the need to explain to them how it is that the Catholic faith is Christianity. But it certainly is. Bruce from East Hartford says, "Our pastor said in a homily that the Eucharist makes us more like Christ. It transforms us." Well, I go to Mass every Sunday, and I find it's just become routine. It's always the same thing week after week. I've become impatient and critical and don't think that I've been transformed one bit. Is there something the matter with me? Well, Bruce, far be it for me to answer by saying there's something the matter with you, uh, but I would say that you are obviously troubled by something uh, spiritual that needs to be addressed, and that is to understand that if the Eucharist has become routine, it's not because Christ is not truly present or the Eucharist doesn't have, bear the grace and power of God, but it is because you and I both, and so I'm not just saying you, are fallen uh, human creatures uh, in need of conversion and grace. And so we have to uh, make the effort through prayer and our resolution uh, to be faithful even when uh, things appear to be routine. Uh, you know, the apostles lived very closely with Jesus for many years, and they, uh, in the end, doubted right up to the end uh, about many things. How could this routine kind of person, Jesus, who, you know, uh, ate with them and traveled with them and everything, all these things he was saying, how, how to understand them, how could this be true? And it's only uh, in in the end with the, the grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit that uh, they were, that were transformed uh, from fear and doubt into being people of, of conviction and faith. And so it's, you know, it's also true of St. Paul in a different way, being knocked, literally knocked off his horse. So when you say that uh, things are routine, I would ask you, uh, Bruce, what are you doing to really devote time to prayer, you know, and to study uh, about the Eucharist. You know, there are many beautiful things that can be, that have been written, whether in the catechism or by the popes, uh, by many spiritual writers. What kind of books have you read about the spiritual life and about the meaning of the Holy Eucharist? Um, maybe I would recommend that you uh, look at the the short document that the bishops approved last November about the Holy Eucharist and the life of the Church, especially in the United States. So, in other words, we have to we have to be our own um, we have to be our own uh, uh, um, teachers, if you will, about this. We have to we have to want and desire to know, to know more. And if you ask God to give you that grace, I am I am confident that God will give it to you. But, you know, growth in virtue and growth in holiness is work. It's, it's hard work, and it can be frustrating work uh, because the great saints many times did not feel any strong emotion or, or whatever, you know, up, being uplifted all the time by, by their, their search for holiness because it involves the cross. Uh, 
But uh, I would just encourage you not to be impatient and critical, but to, to strive with God's grace to grow in your, in your love for him and for the Eucharist. I think that what you said about growing in virtue takes work, Archbishop, and that's something that we think should be, uh, oftentimes we think it should be automatic. If I go to church, I, I'm there, and the priest should just infuse virtue into me somehow so that I can appreciate everything that happens there at the Mass. Well, it takes work on my part. Yes, you know, I, I told you a while ago about the importance of uh, making a holy hour in, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. There, I was reading something where a contemplative monk, uh, who for many years had devoted himself to this kind of life and prayer, his quote was, there's no pleasure in Eucharistic adoration. In other words, to to spend time in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament is not going to give you some high feeling, you know, like, gee, wasn't that great. I think perhaps any more than the apostles, when they were traveling with our Lord, uh, were all elated and exultant in being in his company. It was hard work. They were tired. People gave them a hard time. They didn't always understand what Jesus meant. Uh, this is life. Uh, that we, And that's also what it means to live a life of faith. Dawn from Southington says, I don't understand why Judas's betrayal of Jesus is so important. Surely the chief priests and others who wanted him dead knew who he was and could have found him without Judas. And didn't Peter also betray Jesus by denying him three times? Was Peter's betrayal less harmful than Judas's? Well, a general observation, Don, that the betrayal itself was not harmful to Christ in this sense, that this was Christ's mission from the beginning, uh, was to give his life on the cross for the salvation of the world, uh, to enter fully into the realm of, of evil and to, to uh, allow it to, to appear to have victory over goodness, uh, but to be, be embrace all of the worst that, that hatred and, and sin and evil could do, and to bear it not with retribution, but with love and forgiveness. So uh, as far as the difference between Peter and Judas, well, that's pretty clear, that Peter uh, repented. Uh, and, you know, what did Jesus once say? The one who is forgiven much loves much. Peter was forgiven uh, this great uh, betrayal. And so what did that do? It deepened his love for Jesus, uh, because he realized what he had done, and yet Christ forgave him. The betrayal of Judas, on the other hand, uh, ended in destruction, because Judas refused to present himself to Christ with, with sorrow, with contrition, but rather he, he despaired. And, you know, despair is what uh, leads to, to destruction, and not to avail himself or to believe in the mercy of Jesus or the mercy of God. But then there's the corollary to this that, that I've often mentioned in, in recent years, you know, about the mystery of iniquity in Judas, that uh, God did not have to have his plan fulfilled by uh, the betrayal of one of the, the chosen apostles. But there's something very profound there that uh, of the 12 apostles, one of them was a thief and a betrayer. I dare say until the end of time that within the church and within those who profess the faith, there's always that element of betrayal uh, that we have to, uh, again, it's part of the mystery of the cross. It's, it's part of this great mystery of iniquity and, and, and the triumph of God's plan that, that this evil plays a, a role. 
uh, but it's a negative role. It's one that, that doesn't end uh, in, in something good in itself, but it is uh, God's uh, instrument for bringing about good when there would otherwise only be evil. Archbishop, as we wind down this Easter day, uh, what, what do you recommend in terms of celebrating this Easter week? How should we hold holy, if you will, this Easter week? Well, I think as we began the program, you were talking about this, uh, you know, the, the extension of the, the feast. First of all, every day this week liturgically is another Easter. Every Mass for the next uh, seven days is celebrated as if it were the Easter Mass itself. And uh, that tells us something. Uh, but also the whole Easter season, because now inaugurated, it goes all the way to Pentecost Sunday. So we have many wonderful, beautiful uh, feasts that are celebrated in these next uh, weeks and months. And uh, to enter very deeply into that and to to uh, meditate and pray about the mysteries of the Lord that are being celebrated. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing? Heavenly Father, we rejoice today in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And together with the Church of all ages, we cry out, Alleluia. He is risen. He is truly risen. We pray that by turning to him in faith and love and hope, we may cast all of our sins aside by your grace and rise with Christ, both in living a life of virtue and faith in this world and one day rising bodily, body and soul uh, to share the glory of heaven. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, have a blessed Easter day, and may this entire week truly be a presence of Christ in your life and the lives of the people that you touch and meet throughout the week. And yours as well. Thank you. Happy Easter. Happy Easter.